Okay, the, the, the lovely green buckets and the new baskets have just about finished going round. So I will crack on. I, I want to speak today and then I want us to have time at the end for response. So hopefully I won't get in the way too much. Um, and we'll ha have time for God to do what he wants to do. Because I do feel like he wants to speak to us today. And many of you will hear him speaking to you and challenging you. So that's my prayer this morning. Um, and uh, by way of introduction, my name's Rebecca, as um, Rachel said. I'm on the staff at City Hope, also on the preaching team, so it's great to be here and, uh, with you. And today I am uh, preaching from the Psalms in the Old Testament in the Bible. Next week, Vic Wilson will preach on the same Psalm in a from a slightly different angle. So uh, if you're not familiar with the Psalms, about half, if you've got a paper Bible, which not many have these days, and you open it roughly in the middle, you'll find a group of songs, uh, about 150 songs, known as psalms. And the great thing about the psalms is they contain every human emotion known to man, uh, written as prayers, as worship, as rants, as cries for help, all sorts of emotions. Um, and if any of you, I know there's some songwriters in the room and there's some sort of fairly artistic types in the room and some of the songs we sing are very poetic language, don't they? I don't really think in that kind of language, but I know some of you who write songs and things do, uh, and that's very much the way the psalms are written. There's lots of poetic license, if you like. There's lots of flowery language. You can really get your uh, teeth into it. So this is no exception. It's very, um, if you like, um, allegorical. It's pictorial language. So uh, we're going to just dig in and see what we can find. So it's from Psalm, it's Psalm 126. It's one of 15 psalms that are known, of, known as the Psalm of Ascents. Psalms of Ascent. If you want to know what that means, go and look it up. Uh, I haven't really got time to talk about it, but anyway, there's 15 of them. Psalms of Ascent. That's an interesting little bit of homework for you. And this is one of them. So Psalm 126. I'm going to read the whole thing through, then we're going to go back and explain uh, the context of the psalm as it's written, and then what I feel God is saying to us through it today. Okay, let's go. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. Restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. So as I said, it's, it's not straightforward language, it's very pictorial. So um, just to give you the context, this psalm uh, was, we think, written probably between about five and 400 BC. Um, maybe by, if you're familiar with him, someone like Ezra, certainly in that era. And what's going on here is the people of God, Israel and Judah, have been captive. You may know the story. If you don't, it doesn't matter. Uh, it's really the low point in Israel's history. They have so rebelled against God that he, through the prophets, if you read Jeremiah and Isaiah in the Old Testament, he said very clearly, I'm going to give you into captivity the Babylonian Empire is at its height, and, uh, and God says, you're going, to go, you're going to be captured. Israel is going to be in captivity. But he also said, after a season, after 70 years, I will restore you. You will return. And so this is the context. 
the Lord has begun that restoration. Many of the exiles have returned, Ezra being one of them, uh, and clearly there's great celebration and great joy. Um, uh, and you can see, this is great. Isn't it? Our mouths were filled with laughter. It was like a dream. It was like we can't. Some of, I suspect some of these people had completely lost hope in captivity, uh, a whole generation and more. But it was like a dream. Has this really happened? God has restored our fortunes. We returned to the land of promise. We are overcome with laughter. There's almost a sense of we can't quite control ourselves. Our mouths are just filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. We're just overwhelmed. It, bubbles out of us, a little bit like we experienced this morning, many of us, you know, real joy in God's presence. And even the nations around, the, the sort of, m- the translation gives more of a sense of um, foreigners, you know, outsiders, people who are not the people of God, even they can look and see, look what the Lord has done for them. We can see it. And the Lord has done great things for us. We are filled with joy. And I hope you can see Uh, the analogy here for us. We've celebrated this morning with great joy that we who were once, the Bible says, once dead in our sins have been made alive in Christ. We once who were uh, those who lived in darkness have been brought into light. You notice the, the verb, we've been brought. We didn't do it ourselves. God has restored our fortunes, if you like. God has done it. He's raised us in Christ and we are filled with joy. And then the second half is a slightly different tone because the great joy about what God has done then, of course, leads the psalmist and, and the people, the exiles who've returned to, to cry out to God for more. So, uh, hold on a minute. A minute ago, the Lord has restored our fortunes, and now we're saying, restore our fortunes, Lord. Uh, it's not a done deal. The job is not finished. There's still many exiles to return and those of you who know the story know that the land is in disarray. Jerusalem and the temple are to be rebuilt. And here the psalmist is crying out, God, restore us. Go on restoring us. Do more for us. Like streams in the Negev. In the Bible, if, you're, if you read the Bible, which I hope you do, you'll find water is all over the place. There's lots of um, pictures of water. And um, the Negev, if you don't know, is a very dry desert area to the south of Israel. And, and what, what you've got there is mostly very dry, barren land. But in the winter, when the rains come, those dry wadis, those riverbeds, suddenly get flash flooded with water. And that's the picture. Restore our fortunes like streams in the Negev. God, come and restore and flood and fill us again. And then it gets a bit interesting, doesn't it? These uh, verses about sowing with tears. And uh, if you read, you can read all sorts of commentaries on this psalm and you'll get lots of interpretation of that. Today you get my interpretation, um, which I do feel, you know, really God is going to speak to us through that. But here, the sense of of sowing with tears, with putting something in the ground, with work, with investing, with the hope of a harvest. And these guys who in this era, in the post-exilic era of Israel are really, they really know what they're talking about. (laughs) You know, Dave uh, was talking earlier and John about challenges and trials and what are we going through. And sometimes, you know, life is not easy. And as we've seen, Israel's been exiled. It's been an awful low point in their history. Individually, corporately as a nation, they really have known what it is to weep 
Um, you know that psalm by the rivers of Babylon? We sat down and wept, made fa famous by Boney M. I'm not going to sing it. No. <laughs> no, you really don't want me to. It's fine. <laughs> you really don't want me to. So, so we're going to look at what that means for us. We looked at the context originally, and it's really important. You know, when you read the Bible, who's it written to, when, why, what does it mean? But also, um, for us today, God has got some things he, he wants to say to us. And the first question I feel we wa I want to ask you is, uh, where does your joy come from? Uh, we had a series back in, I think it was November, Dave preached on joy. Uh, and then at the beginning of December, I preached from Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, his first letter to the Thessalonians, where the Apostle Paul says to the church, rejoice always. This is the will of God for you. Rejoice always. And I just wanted to ask, uh, ask yourself, where does my joy come from? When I ask some people, um, when I thought about where does my joy, where do I get joy from in life? I mean, the right answer is God, I know that. But in life, where do I get joy from? Uh, food is a big joy giver in my life. I don't know about you. I know some of you are not so bothered. Some of you eat to live. We live to eat in our house. Uh, Paul's, like, thumbs up. Um, uh, so I asked my 12-year-old daughter, I said, what gives you joy? She said, food, straight away. Uh, uh, and I asked Joel, who's eight, he said, hugs. And then he said, food. Um, some of you I know, it's, you get joy out of sitting and watching football. Probably not Dave so much at the moment, or Chris. Oh. Yeah. Liver, liver, Liverpool supporters, or Paul. Yeah. Um, and some of you, if, you, if you're a mum with young children, that moment when you sit in the hairdresser's chair and you've got away from the family, and is that's a moment of joy, isn't it? Those little things in life give us joy, and I'm sure there's much more profound things as well. Friendship, family, fun, being in the presence of God here together. And the great thing is, of course, God made all those things for us to enjoy because he's a good God. He's a good father, and there's so many things he's made for us to enjoy. But my challenge is this. Is your first and biggest joy found in God? Because if you didn't know it, that's the plan for your life. The will of God for you in Christ Jesus, Paul says, is to rejoice always. It must be possible it must be possible for you to know joy at all times. It's the will of God for you. And I believe that today, when we pray at the end, God wants to give joy to, to people. He really does. He is the great joy giver. Uh, I was praying that before the service. Some of us were praying behind. I was there very briefly because I had to keep running in and out. But, uh, and I prayed that we'd really know a sense of joy in God's presence today. And I really, we did. And we had great songs that led us in that. Um, and God wants to be your biggest joy. And he is. I can say with absolute certainty, the Lord has done great things for me and I'm filled with joy. Amen. To know Jesus, to know what he has done, to know that rescue, not from Babylon, but from darkness into light. It brings such joy. And I know at times in my life, if I'm honest, I've been a Christian and I've not really felt that joy but he wants us to know that. And as we pray later, we're going to ask him to do that. But also there's a challenge as well. Uh, if, you have, if you get joy from a, you know, if a friendship 
gives you joy, you enjoy a friendship or a romantic relationship. I don't know about you, but if you don't actually see each other, that's not really going to work. You get joy from spending time with people, and if you're not spending time with God, his joy maybe will be lacking in your life. And so there's a challenge for us. I think it's always a challenge. If we want to find our greatest joy in God, and believe me, you do, because it's the best joy there is, then we need to give ourselves to being with him, to to developing that friendship like any friendship. The Lord has done great things for us. That was my first question. Where does your joy come from? And my second question is this. Are you serious? Are you serious? And the second half of the psalm turns a bit serious, doesn't it? It goes a bit, it's a bit bubbly and then it turns a bit serious and there's a, a cry, restore our fortunes, Lord. Come on, we are digging in here. We want more. And then we start talking about weeping and investing, sowing with tears. I don't really feel God wanted to challenge us. How serious are you for God? Now you might be thinking, hold on a minute, a minute ago you were talking about joy, and now you're talking about being serious. That sounds a bit like a contradiction. Well, it isn't. In fact, I've got a lovely little quote for you, which Vic reminded me of in the week, by a guy called the late Brennan Manning, a Catholic author. Seriousness is not the opposite of joy, but of superficiality. And this is really why I felt challenged today. You know, God wants to say, how serious are you? How serious am I? Yes, there's great joy, but it comes from being serious about following Jesus. Seriousness is not the opposite of joy. It's the opposite of superficiality. Have you allowed yourself to be superficial? Does God kind of occupy a corner amongst many other things? Or are you serious about following him? And why do I say that? Why do I think it's a serious business? Well, this sounds pretty serious to me. These are the words of Jesus, very famous quote from Jesus uh, from Luke's Gospel. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. So following Jesus, I believe with all my heart, is the most joy-giving, fulfilling, satisfying thing you can do and give yourself to. But this is what it involves. It's a serious business. Not superficial, but serious. To follow Jesus means to take up our cross. And again, it brings us to that. I want to come back to that image of sowing, of putting seed in the ground. And as I was reading around this, um, I'm sure some of you will have more uh, knowledge about this kind of thing than me, but you know, in some parts of the world now, and, and certainly in the context when this is written, there'll be farmers who literally have got vi- virtually nothing but some bags of grain. But what they've got to do to hope for the harvest is they've got to put it in the ground. They can't eat it or feed their family with it. They've got to plant it. There's a sacrificial putting in the ground, if you like, you know, a, a, an investing, a plowing and sowing, something that you could just put on the table, but actually you know it's got to be sown in order to produce more. And the image of sowing, and it may be that when Jesus said this thing we're about to look at, maybe he was thinking of Psalm 126, I don't know, but Jesus says this, very truly I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Or the ESV version says it bears much fruit. Again, there's that picture. You've got a seed, but in order for it to produce, you've got 
to sow it. You've got to put it in the ground. It's got to die in some degree. And I think that image, you know, uh, what Jesus said of that picture of taking up your cross daily, you'll be familiar with the idea of, there's a song we sing, I know it comes from the Bible, I don't know where, about I must decrease so he can increase. It's just the best thing we can do with our lives is decrease so he can increase. Dying to self, putting to death the things of us so that we can have more of Jesus in us. So exciting. Um, And it reminds me, I'm sure it reminds you a bit, of baptism. And this is the Apostle Paul in Romans. So when we're baptized, we profess to follow Jesus. We put our trust in him. And we're baptized by full immersion. If you've not seen it, we're actually going to do some baptisms on the 13th of March. Um, and, and the candidate, the baptismal candidate, goes right into the water and comes up again. And this is what Paul says. We were buried, therefore, with him, with Christ, by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. It's like that song we just sang, isn't it? The p- power that conquered the grave lives in me. I am raised from death into newness of life. I've died. The Bible says the old is gone. I'm a completely new creation in Christ. And I'm made, therefore, to walk in newness of life. Not in the old ways, but in new ways. To follow Jesus wholeheartedly, single-mindedly. There's the two phrases that have been coming to my mind all week. Single-mindedly, wholeheartedly, following Jesus. And I must, just to be clear, what I'm not talking about here is works or earning anything in terms of favor from God. If, you don't, if you're not clear on this, the gospel of Jesus Christ is that you cannot save yourself. We started singing, Jesus saves. You cannot, a dead person cannot raise themselves. The Bible says the picture it uses is you were dead in sin. I was dead in sin without Christ. A dead body cannot get up. But God is the one who raises us. And we've heard it several times this morning. God's really speaking to some people here about this. Jesus came, the Son of God, fully God, and died and rose again from death to pay the price for your sin and my sin to bring us from that dead state back to life. He has done it. We started off the psalm, the Lord has restored our fortunes. When the Lord restored our fortunes, we could not do it. I hope you're clear. You can't do it, folks. (laughs) You can't earn uh, the position of being a child of God. There's a verse in uh, 1 John 3, which is a big favorite in our house. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. It's the only way we become children of God is because of his love, and he has done it for us. There's no earning it. I hope that's clear. Now that one home. But once he has brought us into his kingdom, once we have become children of God, his purpose for you is not the first half of the psalm only. God's done great things for us. We're filled with joy. And we stop there. There's more. There's so much more. Restore our fortunes. Restore us. There is more restoration in your life to come. There is more of God's glory to come through you, who you are, what you do, than has already been. Don't stop. Don't, don't be those who stop sort of halfway through this psalm, if you like. Don't settle for superficiality. 
It's challenging, isn't it? I really feel God has stirred me on this. Don't settle for superficiality. He has got so much better for you than half-hearted following. It's so challenging. Have you stopped kind of halfway through the psalm? I don't know, maybe, you've, maybe you're a new believer, maybe you've been a believer for decades. And there's a lot of you here who have, and there's a lot of people who've been in this church for decades. And being a, an older Christian, I mean being a Christian for a long time, doesn't make you immune to this kind of thing. Sometimes it makes it easier because things become over-familiar. And we think, well, all right, I'm saved, I'm safe, literally, I'm safe. I'm going to meet Jesus one day and I'm going to live eternally in the joy of God. And we are, praise God. <laughs> that is his plan for us. But I do believe that today he's saying, if that is your attitude, you're just going to miss out on so much joy in this life. There's so much more joy for us to have in this life. I don't know, some of you will be familiar with a a piece of writing called the Westminster Catechism. Sounds really boring, it's actually really good, but a catechism is a statement of faith that you have question and answers. Kind of helps you confess what you believe. Um, But there's a very famous, uh, the Westminster Catechism says this, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. What chief end means is main point. The main point of your life is to glorify God. I don't know if you knew that. Paul says to the Colossians in in Colossians 1, this is a a verse that gets quoted very often in our house by my husband, everything, all things were made by and for Jesus. The chief end of your life and my life is to bring glory to God and marvellously enjoy him forever. That doesn't just mean when you die, it means now, forever. Because forever starts now, right? Or it started a long time ago. Our purpose is to bring glory to him and to enjoy him forever. That's good news, right? (laughs) Paul thinks it's good news. So two questions. Where do you get your joy from? You need to come to God and say, God, you're the great joy giver. I need to know your joy. You know, and as Dave said earlier, uh, the Apostle Paul talks about a trial, and he's been through, man, he's been through some trials before he says this, right? He's been through some trials, and he's crying out to God, and God says, my grace is enough. It's enough for you. And I'm not saying that the greatest joy in life comes from God, which means everything is plain sailing, because as we know, life is not like that. And there is no promise in the Bible to you that your life will be plain sailing. Just Let's just nail that one. And you know that because you live life in this world. And there's all sorts of challenges and there's all sorts of pain. And there's grief and there's sadness and suffering in your life and around, around you. But in those things, the greatest joy can be known in God. It's a wonderful miracle, really, of knowing God. Real joy, deep joy that is not robbed by circumstance and that's what we want it's what I want and I find that in the psalm here the harvest of great joy follows the sowing with tears now this is not a formula I don't want you to go home and and work up a a weeping (laughs) and a wailing and a lamenting um you know, in the, sorry, this is a real departure, but it's just come to my mind. You know, in uh, lots of countries and in the Near East, 
particularly, I believe this is still very common, at funerals you rent, you kind of hire a crowd of wailing women, right, to attend the procession, just to give more, I guess, just to kind of give more oomph to the mourning. That's really interesting, isn't it? it just came to me that. So I'm not looking for you to go, th- I'm not suggesting, there's no magic in weeping. That's not the point, right? There's no magic in tears. But there is a promise, I believe, for us that as we invest wholly, as we choose to plow, invest, and sow, and give ourselves to following Jesus wholeheartedly and single-mindedly, the harvest is great joy. Now, the harvest will be many other things, and Vic is going to preach next week from this psalm, uh, less on this sort of individual angle, more of a, a community angle, and there will be much harvest, because I tell you, if we spend time knowing God, if we're pushing to follow him wholeheartedly and single-mindedly, it's not just us that will change, everything around us is going to change. I believe it with all my heart, and I'm, I'm sure you do too. There's great joy to be had in giving ourselves to following Jesus wholeheartedly, but also we're going to cause transformation wherever we go, because that's what he does. The final uh, <coughs> scripture, another song, psalm, Psalm 16 says, You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. And as I said before, the promise is for us for eternal pleasure. It never stops. I can't really get your head around that, can you? But in the next life, it will never, the, the joy <laughs> will not be tempered by anything else. Extraordinary truth extraordinary thing to think of when we live in this world with all its difficulties and grief and struggles and even the awful car journeys with young children that Leslie was talking about and all the stuff that robs us of our joy and many many more profound things we're going to know joy without any break forever and ever but if we wait for the next life we're just going to miss out on so much just want to ask us, ask yourself, where does your joy come from? And are you serious? Are you serious about following Jesus? It's worth it? Or, or are you superficial? Have you allowed yourself to make it a superficial thing? We're going to pray. First, I've just got, um, uh, I mean, I, I would hope there's nobody in the room who doesn't feel they want to respond to what God is saying to us. But there's particularly two people as I was praying, are just uh, two groups of people. It, it's a little bit obvious, but I'll spell it out so you can't worm out of it. So two groups of people. One, um, believers, followers of Jesus, professing Christians, um, who've done what I have talked about already. You've experienced the joy of salvation. You're definitely a Christian. You've uh, at conversion. You understood God rescued you from darkness, but your style is just not to get too carried away. Yeah, but you want to keep it cool, and you know, just not a very excitable person. That's the way you see it. But actually, what you've done is you've allowed yourself to settle halfway through that psalm, and you're not pressing on with all your heart. Do you know there's a scripture? What, where does Paul say about running the race, Paul? Throwing off everything that hinders me. Okay. In he, in, in letter to the Hebrews in chapter 12. That's the image. You throw off everything and you run. 
It's not, oh, well, you know, it's okay, it's all right for you. And, you know, that's the picture. It's running, running. Some of you don't like running. That's fine, it's only a picture. But that's, <laughs> that's what it is. I throw off everything. I want to run after Jesus. And if that's, you feel like that, God wants you to respond. He, he wants you to kind of lead us in prayer and come, come back. And wherever you are in the Christian life, wherever we are on our journey with God, you're not going to arrive tomorrow, if you see what I mean. But every one of us can get closer, can get nearer, can get deeper, can push more, can say, God, yes, restore more. I want to know you more. I want to follow you more closely. And if you're not a believer, and we've several times we've heard things this morning, Paul Brown stood up. If you're not already a believer, a follower of Jesus, maybe you came in and thought you were, and you've realized you're, maybe you're not, then God is speaking to you. Because wherever you find your joy in life, you will not find the ultimate joy. That's because you were made for Jesus. That's what you were made for. He made you. He knows what you're for. You were made by and for him. And if you don't follow him and you don't know him and you don't enjoy him, you are missing out on the purpose for which you were made. And that is why you are dissatisfied with life. That is why it will never be enough. He's speaking to you. And if you want to respond to that today and say, I don't really know what it means, but I want to do that, then please do come uh, afterwards to talk to Paul or myself or one of the others here. And over here, we'll also have a prayer team. You can chat to somebody there. So we've got a few minutes. If, if I can um, ask, can we stand together? I'm going to respond. It's good to, to stand just to not be passive. Uh, because God is speaking to us. I just want to read something from a uh, book I mentioned earlier. This is about, listen up, because this is a particular context, but I really feel it's applicable to what God is saying to us. This is about Christmas. Really. It's about the coming of Jesus and what that means, and it's speaking to people who are coming to him for the first time. That might be you, it might not be, but I think it's applicable. It really very poetic language, but it really grabbed my heart. The hundred percenter, that means the person who's wholehearted and single-minded, knows with his heart, as well as his head, that the kingdom of God has come in Jesus Christ, that now is the hour of salvation. He knows that the master stands at the crossroads of his life. The urgency of the moment demands commitment, decision. Drop everything and run for Christ. Like when a tornado comes ripping down the street. You can't postpone the decision. You can't procrastinate. Leave your father and mother. Cut off your hand, but for the love of Jesus Christ, don't let the invitation go unanswered. What does the loss of reputation, popularity, status, life itself mean in comparison with the gain of Christ Jesus? Open up. This is not an Avon salesperson at the door. It is the Son of God. His invitation is to be treated with unconditional seriousness. And whether it's a first-time response to Jesus or whether you're coming again and after years of following him and saying, God, I want to follow you more seriously. Let's take the moment. Let's just take a bit of time. Allow God to speak to you. Holy Spirit is here. I'm just going to pray for us together. But 
be open to God. He's speaking to people now. Mm. Father, Father, thank you that your promise is that there is joy in your presence. Thank you that you who speak never lie. Every promise you make is good and you do fulfill it. Amen. Thank you, Lord. There is joy in your presence and we will know joy in your presence forever. I just pray now for friends here, Lord, who need a touch of God's joy to fill them. Holy Spirit, come and bring your joy, joy that is transforming, that fills us. The Lord has done great things for us and we are filled with joy. Come now, Lord, and minister joy, pray in Jesus' name. Thank you, there's no end to the depths of your joy. Hallelujah. Lord, and together we want to acknowledge that there are times where we allow you to be sidetracked in our affections and in our priorities. There are times when we are superficial and we're not serious about running after you. And Lord, we repent together of those attitudes. Lord, we thank you that the grace of God is enough for us, that every day we fall, you just pick us up, set us back on the road. Lord, thank you. It's all done by you. But as a response to that, we want to run wholeheartedly, single-mindedly following you, Lord God. We turn to you, Lord. We turn again to you today and say, thank you, God. Thank you, God, that you are the one who invites us. This is an invitation moment. God is inviting us. Thank you, Lord, for that invitation. And we just come we come running to you, Lord, and say we want to give ourselves to following you. It's the best investment we can make to give our lives, to give our lives to the one who made us and loves us and who has only good things in store for us. Lord, we give ourselves to you.